you're not going to be nervous because you know what? I'm the one doing the talking. Well, what are we going to say? That's a good question. We're here because this month we're talking about God loves justice. And we're talking about how God loves the church and God loves and God loves everyone. Do you do you know what justice means? Well, justice means loving everyone the same or making sure everything is equal. Right? Right. And this month, this week, Pastor Drew is going to talk about Zechariah 7. Zechariah. Zechariah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a book in the Old Testament. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know him. I know him. Okay, what else? So, let me, let me ask you a question. Have you ever said anything that was mean or thought anything was mean about another person? once or twice I know I have and I felt awful about it I just felt completely awful about it because you know what God doesn't like it when we do that he wants us to love everybody the same because we're all the same we're all equal God loves each one of us equally wait that can't be right because I know I uh, go to church. Well, some, sometimes I watch church. And I give my money. Yes. And I know God loves me more than the beggar on the street. Winston. That's not right. Because when we're a child of God, he loves us no matter what. No matter if we're different or we're the same, because just because people are different doesn't make them bad. They're just different. God loves us all the same, equal justice. Do you understand that? Hmm. Yeah, I think I do. Um, let me get this straight. Because I'm a child of God, he, God, loves me so much that there's nothing I can do to change that love. That's right, exactly. Well, okay, I guess you're right. I'm no better than anyone else that God loves me just as much as he loves you. You're right. And thank you for helping me with the children's sermon this morning. Bye. Thanks, Bev and Winston, for uh, helping us see that element of God's justice that, that is a part, really, of God's character. It flows from God's love for all people. It pursues justice uh, for all people. And therefore, it's an essential part of what it means to be part of God's people. <laughs> to, to, to be a part of God's people requires then of us a robust commitment 
to justice. It's not just an add-on or, or it's just a result of uh, our following Jesus. No, justice is baked into the cake. It's not the icing or the ice cream. Without justice, there is no cake. Uh, without justice, we have an incomplete gospel. It is God's very nature. And since it is who God is, it is who Jesus is, therefore, any Jesus follower, it's to be who we are also. We, we long to glorify the, the God of the Scriptures, then, then, then justice will be in our bones. It makes us wonder, makes me wonder, makes, hopefully makes you wonder. Well, how do we know? How do we, how do we fulfill God's justice? How do we live into God's character and demonstrate that in such a just way? Um, I, I want to, today, as we look at this passage in Zechariah, I'll, I'll tease out from the passage some of the, the leading indicators that, that demonstrate how we are to live into God's justice um, and, and demonstrate how we are or are not um, living into God's justice. So, sort of like uh, the, how we got to be in purple in Hamilton County because of the, 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 the COVID map for the state of Ohio. There are like seven different indicators. This is a negative example, but there's seven different indicators that that state uh, how we're doing with COVID. You know, things like how many people tested positive in the last several weeks, how many uh, uh, in, um, how many bed, hospital admi- admissions have there been? How many intensive care beds have been used um, for COVID in the last several weeks? Those and other indicators. And when those indicators get high and high, it shows that we're getting higher and higher with COVID. And the Department of Health and the governor um, ask us to severely limit our travel when we get um, to that place. That's why this week and last week uh, we were uh, not hosting in-person services, but just streaming everything to all of you um, who are joining um, with us today. So, in the likewise, what are the indicators that we are on a positive? living into the justice of God. And that's what we'll look at in our passage today in Zechariah. It'll both reinforce the notion that we've been highlighting. Sharon did a great job last week. Powerful, beautiful way of highlighting how um, God's character is just. Uh, justice is part of God's character. This, this passage will reinforce that and will highlight what are the leading indicators for us as we seek to pursue God's justice. Now, before we look at uh, uh, Zechariah 7, I want to just set it up a, a little bit, because just like Winston, he had a little trouble knowing exactly who Zechariah um, is. Uh, maybe um, a, a number of you do as well. But he's a prophet of, of God, towards the end of the Old Testament. And He's towards the end of the timeline of Israel that's in, in the Old Testament um, because he's uh, what we call post-exilic prophet. Yeah, big, big fancy word. It means after the exile. And the exile is the time when Babylon, Babylon, the nation of Babylon, the Babylonians, they came in and, and they ransacked Israel, destroyed it, you know, left it in ruins and took a majority of the people out of the nation and brought them back to Babylon to make them slaves, to make them servants and workers. Um, and if you want to read a particular story about some Israelites, some of God's people who were taken into exile into Babylon, read the story of Daniel. And that tells you uh, what happened with with them. 
So Zechariah is a prophet during that time. And we're, you'll find out in, in the passage that we're at the end of the exile. The exile was to last 70 years. And the exile was a judgment of God upon God's people. Um, uh, actually related to what Sharon said last week, one of the uh, reasons that God judged the people is because they didn't keep the Sabbaths. They didn't keep the year of Jubilee. And so, in a way, this was a, a way for the land uh, to make up for the lost Sabbaths that the people of Israel didn't keep for them. You can see that at the end of Second Chronicles if you want to see that notion. But anyway, so they're coming to the end of the uh, exile. And so the people of God are wondering, uh, uh, do we still need to fast like we've been fasting? Uh, they had a whole system of fast, actually, for every other month or every third month that they would hold a fast. And those fasts were uh, as a result of God's judgment upon uh, Israel. They were saying to God, or the fast they're supposed to be saying to God, you know, we're sorry for what we did. What we did was, was wrong, and, and we're, we're, see- we're repenting to you, and we're fasting because we want your blessing upon us, we want your mercy, and we want you to change us. That's what a fast is supposed to be about and what they supposedly have been doing. But now that things are changing, some people have already moved back to Jerusalem. And uh, some people have already started building the temple, sort of renewing. And they know there's just a few years before they'll all be going back to um, Jerusalem and building the temple again. They're wondering if the religious practices need to change. And um, so in, in this passage, that's what is, is happening and what Zechariah is responding to. And so they come to him and say to him, what? I'm asking those questions to hear from God. What are they to do now in this time of transition? And so it's in here that we'll hear again just how crucial justice is, how central it is to the character of God and what some of the indicators are for us, for God's people then and for us today to pursue and live the character of God um, uh, who loves justice. So, um, Zechariah uh, 7. Let's, uh, let's pray together uh, before we read it. Uh, Almighty God, uh, we do thank you for your written word as it speaks to us of your truth and, uh, we, and your very character. And so we offer ourselves to not just hear your words, but to do them. So receive us in this time. May your spirit have your way as we learn to obey and and submit and and celebrate um, your character and your direction to us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I'll I'll read the the first uh, seven verses and then unpack that a little bit, then jump into the last half of the passage. But uh, Zechariah chapter 7 verse 1. In the fourth year of the king Darius... The word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Chislev. Now the people of Bethel had sent Sherezer and Regim Melech and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I've done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, Say to all the people of the land and the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh, for these seventy years, was it for me that you fasted? 
And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities around her and the south and the lowland were inhabited? Now, let's just un- unpack this um, uh, a little bit. Uh, the, so you see the people coming, asking God, what uh, do we need to continue with the fast? And God goes right to the heart of the matter. He wants to know. As, as people are asking about the religious stuff, are we going to change when and where we fast or uh, other things? Are our fast going to be turning into to feasts? He asked them directly a heart-centered question. Why are you doing it? Why for these last 68 years, why have you been fasting? What's the very purpose of these fasts? You doing it for yourself, as he says in verse 6, or are you doing it for me? It makes me think of uh, times when I say I'm sorry in order to get out of trouble. Instead of really being sorry. You know, I, I can remember as a kid that, that no matter, I don't know what happened or what I, if, if I'd done anything wrong or even when I hadn't done wrong. If dad thought I'd done something wrong and he was calling my name and had a belt in his hand, I started crying. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Sometimes I didn't even know what I did. But I was saying, I'm sorry because I wanted to avoid the pain, whatever it was. And it seems like maybe that's what the pe- God's people were doing. They were going through the fast, not to seek the heart of God, but to avoid the pain, to get out of exile, to get back home. But when we're sorry, our, our charge is, is, to, is to say, one, I'm wrong. I did wrong. When I'm sorry, it means that, that I have sorrow for hurting you or for others or hurting God. And in true repentance, it means I don't want to do that anymore. I want to change. And that doesn't seem to be the motivation of God's people in his fasting. So God, that's why God goes straight to the heart. Because he sees that's what's the, that, that's where the issue is. He says, I, I want you to get off of yourself and listen to me. What, what I have been telling you all along. That's when he says, you know, go to the former prophets. Look at the, what, what did, what did Moses say? What did Abraham say? What did I say through them? What did I say through Samuel? What did I say through Isaiah and Jeremiah? What I said to them is what I'll say to you because it's about my character. It's about who I am and that does not change. So what I told you then is what I'll tell you now. Do that. That now leads us then to verse 8. Zechariah continues, And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by His Spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, 
Great anger came from the Lord of hosts. As I called and they would not hear, so they called and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So so you see what God is bringing up to the the people asking about the fast then is he recounts to them, don't you remember why you were here in the first place? This is my character. This is what I called my people to do back when you you, you were prosperous, back when you were living in the promised land. This is what I wanted you to do. Now this is what I want you to do now. I want you to be about my justice. And and I think as you see as he outlines justice here, we'll see what we've we've been calling God's uh, God's justice. Uh, uh, it's really a three-legged stool in a sense. And the three legs are, are presented as we understand God's justice in this this way. There, there's human equity human value and human flourishing. And those, those three um, legs are then in balance with one another that level out to give a level playing field, a level, a level place to sit for God's nation, God's people to sit so that all will indeed be equal. The human equity, human value, human flourishing. God's three-legged stool of justice. Now, what we see in the first uh, part of uh, verse 9, or no, verse, uh, yeah, verse, verse 9. Render true judgments. Render true judgments among yourself. This is the, the word where he's talking about specifically the justice system. Make true judgments with one another. You want to have equal treatment under the law, and that's where human equity is necessary. No one is to have an advantage or disadvantage in the judgments of the system of justice of your land. Equitable treatment for all. Equal access, whatever is necessary for each person to have equal access to that level of judgment. And as we'll see in a little bit and talk about a little bit more, but what often happens is... There are certain groups of people that have access to justice and others that don't. In a simple way, uh, given your wealth, given the amount of money that you have, justice is not given freely to the rich and then the poor just get what they can get. Justice, true equity, means all people, no matter what, have that equal pursuit, equal value, equal access to justice. That's the human equity. Human value, we we see here in in the words kindness and mercy, which says, now I want you to have kindness and mercy. I want true judgments for all. Render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. And this is more the emotional element here. that, that, that It's a heartfelt value for one another. Not just an intellectual assent, but a heartfelt sense of value for every human being that, that we treat all with equal value. Male, female, black, white, brown, citizen or not a citizen, Republican, Democrat, independent, victim or perpetrator. 
If you're a human being, your value is based on being created in the image of God. And so whether we agree with one another or not, or even if we've been wronged by another, that value is not diminished. Now, now don't hear me say that pursuing justice means we just sort of give a blind eye to evil and what is wrong. No, the very fact that we value one another means that we uphold what is good and right and we oppose evil at every turn because what is evil and wrong is that which robs equity and value and flourishing from others and even from the one that perpetrate that evil. So human um, value, human equity. And then lastly, it says, do not prevent, do not oppress, do not do evil against one another where you prevent their flourishing. Do not uh, oppress nor plan evil. Again, uh, this this highlights that justice is not some uh, total anarchy. No, justice opposes evil. We call wrong what is wrong and we work to stop evil in order to pursue that that three-legged stool of equity, value, and flourishing together. This is where, in some ways, what some people call law and order falls short because it is not the essence of God's justice because it tends to value one group of people over another group of people instead of calling all to justice with valuing all the same but calling what is evil, evil. And so that's, that's one area where we have to be, be careful because that can lead us not to God's justice but to some other system of justice. Again, God pursues human equity, human value, and human flourishing for all. Now, in the passage, Zechariah then highlights one particular group of people, or actually four different groups of people. They're the focus of attention of God's justice. Um, Nicholas Wolsterhoff calls them the quartet of the vulnerable, where he highlights there the orphan, the widow, the immigrant, and the poor. He focuses his attention upon those different groups of people because they represent those in that day that are the most vulnerable in almost any society, particularly in the society that God's people are living in, that God is talking to at that day. The the, the attention is on those who are most easily oppressed, easily forgotten, the ones who find themselves helpless and powerless, dismissed and abused who receive regularly inequitable treatment, who are devalued by many in society and are prevented because of the systems of the day from pursuing the flourishing that God has created them to enjoy. Now, we'll see these four mentioned in a variety of ways throughout the Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, from, um, uh, and that's what God is talking about through Zechariah when he says, look at the former prophets. They, they mentioned to them in a variety of ways over and over again, the, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. And, and we see it also in Jesus, in his life, in his teachings. And we'll talk about that more next week. But these are the folks who regularly do not receive equitable treatment. They do not receive value from society and therefore find it much more difficult to flourish. Their their flourishing is diminished, is squashed down, is even buried. Now, um, from... 
as the, the people of, of God, then, as they're asking God, what do we need to do now? God's saying, this is where you need to focus. It's interesting uh, to me to, to think about this because you would think that they're coming to God at this time of transition. You know, the exile's over. They're about to go back. You know, wouldn't you think God would tell them, well, you're going to be really vulnerable, so we're going to take care of you. He didn't say that. He, he didn't get to that. He, he said, I, the way, and I think part of it is, yeah, you're going to be really vulnerable. You're going to be really vulnerable to become really self-focused. You're going to be really vulnerable to focus your attention on yourselves and not on me. So here's what we're going to do. You're going to focus on me and what who I focus on are those that are most vulnerable. This will actually lead to your salvation. As you pour yourself into the very my character that really looks at and searches for who are the ones most vulnerable around you. And that, that looking at that, looking at that foursome in those days and um, overlaying that with a three-legged stool gives an indication of what those key, in, that key indicator is of pursuing God's justice. And that is to ask this question. How are the vulnerable being impacted and empowered? How are the vulnerable being impacted and empowered? That's the key question, the key indicator for a group of God's people who are pursuing God's justice. Now, uh, again, let's so let's take a look specifically, just taking those the, the three-legged stool and the, the quartet of the vulnerable and just overlaying them upon one another. And just um, let's un- unpack that, dig a little deeper into that, just, just a little bit. So we, we think about equity, we think about human equity, uh, and, and we think about that with the poor. Uh, since I've already mentioned a piece of that, that, that the poor are not given equitable treatment. And in those days, they weren't given equitable treatment in the process of justice because they couldn't pay the bribes. As a matter of fact, in, in those days, it was just known they couldn't pay the bribe. They weren't even asked for them. They were just dismissed. Um, they, they were charged with whatever, arrested whenever, and it had their, the issue of justice just had no bearing on their life. And that can also be the case in our day, today. I've mentioned to you a number of times a guy named Brian Stevenson, who's an attorney in Alabama, and he's given his life to walking with inmates who've been convicted and are sentenced to death. So he goes to inmates who are on death row and he walks with them. He wants to make sure that they have equity and value and that they flourish. And he's found in his work about 30% of the folks that he works with actually are innocent of the crime. Not just, they're not off on a technicality. They didn't do it. And he does the work to demonstrate that they didn't do it and that they didn't receive the kind of legal representation they should have received in the initial trial. And what he, what he says, what he has found in his experience in our um, system, uh, he says that we have a system of justice that treats you much better if you're rich and guilty than if you're poor and innocent. Wealth, not culpability, shapes outcomes. 
Again, that's Brian Stevenson. If you don't know him, I encourage you. Uh, he's got a, a book and a movie, both titled Just Mercy, of which he's the author and also the main subject of either of those. That's Just Mercy with Brian Stevenson. We also think about equity with the widow. Well, let's overlap those two. You know, the, the women, particularly in, the, in those days, were not given equitable treatment at all. Um, the, and, and in particular case with a widow, by death, uh, they, they were connected to a man. And then in that day, that gave them value. That gave them equity with, with others. But if they lost that connection because he died, then they once again uh, were not given equitable treatment. They, they couldn't be educated. They couldn't have jobs. They, they couldn't be a witness in the court system. They could not inherit money or land. And, and so God is telling them... Put your attention on the, the widow who are the most vulnerable. And again, the same is true for us today. We continue to fight, uh, particularly for the widow, uh, but also simply for gender equity. We, we fight against sexism in our day. And, and in our hyper-sexualized culture, we're always fighting the battle to say women are not objects. Women are fully human in every way. And, and, we, and we've seen the rise of the Me Too movement, which is one of the expressions of opposing that objectification of a gender. And, and we continue to, to pursue as well things like equal pay for equal work. Uh, the, 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 the second of the, the stool, the legs in the stool is, is value. We have equal value. Let, let's think about value in, the, in line with the, the orphan as part of the quartet of the vulnerable. Uh, orphan were, were part of, uh, of uh, a group of people, children, who were not valued in that day. Orphans particularly weren't because they were not... Well, children weren't valued because they were a drain. <clears throat> They were a drain upon the resources of the family or the community until they reached a certain age and ability that then they could work. So in a sense, children had potential value but not real value. And until that day, they were seen as a drain until they were able uh, to, to work. You'll, you'll see um, in some societies in those days, even into the Jesus day, if a child was born who was malformed in some way, who wasn't going to be able to work, uh, oftentimes uh, the, the family would just take the child and put the child on the trash heap um, in the local community. And uh, um, that was their, their way of ridding them of that uh, liability. And in, at least in the days um, after Jesus, it was the church uh, that, that then showed up at the, uh, um, the, the dump in order to pick up and rescue those children and, and care for them because in, in God's justice, all humans have equal value. Children have value totally and completely, uh, whether um, they're unborn or whether they're fully born and living. All children have equal value. And so do the, the moms that are carrying them. And, and so do the dads that are a part of their, their birth and their family. And I highly recommend to you, one of the reasons we partner with Life Forward Ministries, and um, the, the leader there is Steve Stevenson. They're not related to Brian Stevenson. Um, matter of fact, they spell their last names differently. But Steve's a, a great guy leading that ministry, working to support and care for all children in our midst, especially young, young children, whether they're um, unborn or just born. He's there to come alongside, and that ministry is a great ministry to, to partner with. Again, that's Life Forward. 
And they, they work not only for, for prenatal care, just for folks that are in crisis, but they, they work for prenatal care for all people because all children and all moms of children need that value and need that care. It's why, as a church, also, we have a, a children's ministry. Why, why we, we pour so much time and energy. And as Jennifer was just up here, as a pastor of children's and families, and, and because we, we value the children um, here and all throughout our community. We want them to know the love of God. We want them to live into the fullness of God's justice uh, with us. So uh, we, we partner um, also with uh, things like Preschool Promise that, that tries to provide for um, uh, child care for all children and uh, preschool for all children have access in, in our county. And while we have three C's here as a, a, a child care within our own, within our own walls, and while we partner with WizKids and, and Treehouse because we value the children at Pleasant Hill, they're created in the image of God and we want them to have every access that they can to, to education and to safe, fa- we, va- we partner also with safe families and coalition of care who come alongside families who are fostering children in the foster system or adopting children or providing others to, to resource them and to support those who are caring for children who have lost their, their families or separated from their family for a variety of reasons. And we, we partner uh, also with Interfaith Hospitality Network whose focus is to care for children and families who find themselves homeless. And they're the only avenue for families who are um, homeless to be able to stay together and to stay in a safe place. Uh, So all all of these is because we value children in our midst. And then finally, uh, flourishing. Uh, the, the, the third leg is that is human flourishing. And, and you, you think about the immigrant, the, the person who's not from around here, the one who has come from a far distance away. They, they, they've come and we value them. We give them equity. We, we want them to flourish as well. But they have all kinds of challenges and hurdles that, have, that will diminish their flourishing. One, they're, they're, they're easy to take advantage of because they don't know the language. They don't know the customs. They don't know the, the traditions. They have no social connections, especially if they've been ripped from their home as, as refugees. And that's why we partner uh, with um, Catholic Social Services in Northminster uh, Presbyterian Church and to help families that learn English. To, we, we've, we've partnered to support families from other nations, giving them a place to stay and, and food, helped to, with their education, uh, sponsored them so that they could also flourish. Now, all four of, of these, the, the quadrant of the vulnerable, the, these populations, they, they work together. The widow, the orphan, the immigrant, the poor, they're, they're, they are naturally the people most easily abused and mistreated who receive the, the least value from our society and have some of the most difficult challenges to flourish. That's why our question as God's people as we're living for God's justice, how are the vulnerable being impacted and empowered today? Uh, Brian Stevenson, the, the lawyer, the attorney I mentioned earlier, he said, has this to say about uh, what, uh, what it says uh, about a society related to how they treat the vulnerable. 
You ultimately judge the civility of a society not by how it treats the rich, the powerful, the protected, and the highly esteemed, but how it treats the poor, the disfavored, and the disadvantaged. See, brothers and sisters, uh, you, you see in what he's saying that the, the justice, this three-legged stool of justice is the character of God. It is the heart of God. So we, as God's people, if we're living out God's character, then it will be a compelling witness to the world around us of the love of God, the power of God, the, the justice of God. But if we're not, if we're, like God's people in those days, focus more on ourselves, that, that we're asking the question, how does it impact me and mine, instead of how does it impact the vulnerable around us? Then we've lost the opportunity. We're missing the grand opportunity of demonstrating God's character to the world. An assignment for you um, this week. Uh, two assignments. One, I'm going to uh, go back to one that I gave you a couple of weeks ago, that those that uh, remember. And that was, I asked you, as you thought about God's justice, what would be your plan for distributing the COVID-19 vaccine? Well, now, I want you to go back to that plan or, or think about that again, particularly recognizing this preference for the vulnerable. Uh, with that leading question, that these leading indicator, how are we, how are we caring for, lifting up the vulnerable? As you, you think about that question now, look back at that plan. How, how would you plan the distribution of the vaccine given this understanding of God's justice uh, and attention to the ones that are vulnerable? Also, I want you this week, as you're reading, you're watching, you're, you're hearing the news or other things, just different policies, different laws that are being discussed, different events that are going on. I, I want you to reflect on how you respond to that. Is your gut question, how does this impact me? How does it impact mine? Or is your gut question out of the heart of God saying, how does this impact the vulnerable in our midst? Because that's God's question as we pursue God's justice. How does it impact and empower the vulnerable in our community? Now, but here's the great news. The, the great news is that, the, that it's not our job to change the world. That's God's job. God's the one that's going to change the world. Now, we, we want to. We want to see that change. We want to see it implemented. But we, we are ones who are called to faithfully, lovingly serve and, and follow God as, as God fills us and leads us with His Spirit in the, the power and grace and mercy of Jesus. And, and we want God to do His work in and through us. But a great indication for you, for me, and for us that we are following God's call is that we are examining our own lives, we're examining the world around us, and we're asking that question. How are we lifting up, valuing, and loving the most vulnerable around us? Let's pray together.
Almighty God, we do take this time, and as you charge us to, we lift up those who are in authority over us. We pray particularly in this season as a nation that as we're changing administrations, both in the, the, the president and cabinet and the Senate and, and the House of Representatives, if all, as all that is, is changing in the midst of transition, we pray, Lord, you would grant them wisdom in the decisions they make, that indeed they would be just, that they would have eyes and ears to see and to hear, particularly how it impacts the most vulnerable in our land. And, and, and God, we, we continue to pray against uh, the COVID virus, the coronavirus and COVID-19. Um, and it's, uh, the, we pray for the distribution of the vaccine, that it would be done quickly, it would be done orderly, and it, it would be done in a way that is wise and in alignment with your justice, that fully does take into account those that are most vulnerable and, and highlights uh, equity, value, and flourishing of all humans. 